in the house. Let me hear your bark. Let me see your bite. Let me see your scars. You know what we about. Come see us in the yard. Hello and welcome to All We Hear is Purple, the third or fourth most mediocre Husky football podcast on the entire internet. I am Andrew Berg and joining me on this Wednesday evening recording out of order is Gaby Lucas. Gaby, how's life treating you today? Good or something. I don't know. I thought I didn't know if you were going to finish that sentence or if you were just going to you were just going to end it with Gaby dot yeah. dot dot. I, I've had uh, less instructive or less directed questions than that. It's, okay. It feels like we've got both a lot of things to talk about and also nothing important Zero. to talk about in a way mm-hmm. like all of the things are little things but when you add them up there are a fair number of things that have happened since the last time we talked uh two weeks gone by uh, i spent a week sitting on the beach in hawaii didn't follow football as closely but getting caught up now so let's start with the coaching staff uh, since the last time we talked we've filled out the rest of the staff it's kind of funny that we named our last uh, podcast after the CFL team of a coach who we ended up not hiring or seemingly even like talking to about our defensive coordinator spot, which is strange, but uh, both coordinators that we hired or all three, as it were, came from Fresno. The offensive staff is Ryan Grubb at offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Lee Marks from Fresno is the running backs coach. Uh, both Junior Adams and Scott Huff were retained. And then Nick Sheridan from the old offensive coordinator from Indiana is now the tight ends coach. Uh, he was also a quarterback at Michigan. Anything from that list jump out at you? Do you, I, I, the, just talking to some friends, it seems like the concern here is that we've got a lot of group of five coaches and not a lot of power five conference coaches, not a lot of PAC 12 history on our coaching staff, other than the guys who are retained. Does that mean anything to you? Or is there anything on this list of offensive coaches that seems particularly encouraging? Yeah, a couple things. Uh, one, I think I think Mike Farrell, I think it was Mike Farrell, yeah, uh, who put it, I, I thought he brought up a good, albeit like kind of obvious point that I feel like the collective UW fandom was kind of maybe missing the forest through the trees a little bit of him. He pointed out, he's like, you know, whenever you hire a new head coach, they are always going to take a majority or at least a plurality of their coaches with them from wherever their last stop was, that's just kind of what, how it works. And I think wait, wait, is it, it's six out of 10, right. From Fresno. That sounds right. Either yeah, directly something or like that. Yeah. You know, and um, that's less than Pete brought over from Boise, which obviously Pete was more of a, you know, sure thing. And granted Pete also made his mistakes and certain people who were brought over <coughs> Brent Pease uh, who could, who could have been cut loose. And, you know, I'm sure I'm sure, or I think it's more likely than not that we'll find that most of these guys who are coming up from Fresno do work out quite well with, you know, maybe like one, a a guy who you're like, "Eh, he needs to be cut, cut loose and replaced. But there is something to be said about like, there's no point in hiring a guy and then being like, we want you and nobody who made you good. Like part of their, what made, what makes somebody at a G5 level good is their ability to identify talent, not just on the field, but with staff. And so naturally you're going to get some of that with um, brought up with you. And obviously the question of, all right, well now can you recruit at a power five level? 
yeah, sure, that's there, but that that was inevitable. And that's something that I'm not going to assume without given evidence. I'm not going to assume that someone's going to suck shit. <laughs> like if there is, if it's a clean slate um, at that job. And, and the other thing, like Sheridan from Indiana, uh, obviously he was fired as an offensive coordinator, but that doesn't really say anything negative about him I think as a position coach because you look at like it's like the reverse of the Peter principle like Jimmy Lake was a freaking phenomenal defensive backs coach and he sucked as a head coach because if you're really good at stuff you will get promoted to the point of your own incompetence so yeah if you're gonna I think as far as hiring hiring guys from outside your or who maybe aren't you haven't been working directly with him right at that moment since he wasn't with DeBoer at uh, Fresno, even though they were working together at Indiana. I think taking a guy who, yeah, didn't work out at their most recent promotion and taking him at a lower position or a lower, you know, uh, hierarchy job. Yeah. If you can get, if you can get a bunch of failed offensive coordinators, put them in every single position thing obviously i'm exaggerating but like i don't have a problem in theory with that really at all so the yeah. end i think you're i think I, I just to paraphrase what you said I, I wrote in uh something recently in dots or somewhere else you hire a group of five coach he comes with a group of five coaching tree like what do you expect and the alternative would be hiring guys who already washed out somewhere else you know like yeah. if, if somebody's like you know really successful i don't know like utah's defensive coordinator i know that's not the best example minus the, the, minus the yeah yeah uh, i'm just like they're they're kind of like the, the team that just won the conference like they're not going to just take a lateral move to be another team's defensive coordinator or whatever uh so you have to either find somebody who's successful at a lower level and try to develop them or somebody who's failed at a higher level or you know failed at a comparable level and try to reclaim them. And I'd rather do the guy who has been continuing to develop and succeed uh, mm -hmm. than somebody who's already kind of fallen backwards. And it's yeah. funny you mentioned the, the Peter principle thing, because uh, even just a week or so ago, I was before they announced uh, Inge and Moral as the defensive coordinators thinking like, man, you know, this is not a, a realistic thought, but if we're looking for somebody with PAC 12 connections, history of recruiting, somebody who's called plays for a defense before, we can probably overspend a little bit. I was like, you know, we do have Jimmy Lake under contract right now. <laughs> I, like, I, I, that, I, I think that's like that that whole offset thing. Like, <laughs> we're already paying him three million funny. dollars or something. That's just, like, oh, sorry, go on. I was gonna say, I don't even know how that would work with his contract language, but we could just say like, you're our defensive coordinator now. Uh, you yeah. can either quit and walk away from the money, or we'll just continue paying you a head coach's salary <laughs> as the coordinator. That would be um. That sounds like the um like ted lasso adjacent like some new sitcom so-and-so gets fired but yet is still working at that job as a you know whatever um also is it Inge or inga my german my my german background kicks in and i see that name and i'm like i'm sure it's not produced actually now that i say it out loud i'm like obviously it's anglicized i'm sure it's not pronounced inga or ing i'm sure it's inge sorry a, a, i can't see things named Brandon Inge. I think he was a catcher and third baseman for the Tigers. And uh, once I hear a name in one setting, it's probably how I'm going to keep pronouncing it from then on. But th fair. these are those I'm things. Sure you're like, right. we'll, we'll figure it out as the season gets going. <laughs> I feel like but an idiot now. <laughs> it, 
well i i do the same thing looking at i mean i i guess moral could be morale or whatever we'll find out during the season uh, right now we're a strictly strictly print medium when it comes to this coaching yeah stuff. also uh, um okay can i can yeah. i bring up a question to, to you because i um i think the most intriguing or one of the most intriguing is um brechterfield yeah. um who are bringing in for the dl coach um insert obligatory goodbye uh keika um malloy you sweet prince but i think he's based on like his past work at wisconsin obviously him quote unquote developing aaron donald at Pitt is like that's kind of a one-off thing so just that's great on the resume i'm not sure if i'm taking i don't want to put too much weight on that because you know sometimes a two-star explodes just and there's it, it was just random you know just because the sample size of that is so minimal but i feel like he's somebody who's a little bit easy to overlook and i want to know you might have been about to bring that up i don't know but what's your general honestly yeah, check on him? probably the one name on this whole list on the offensive or defensive side that's most exciting just based mm-hmm. on his resume and and like i was saying you don't very often get somebody who has success under their belt to come take a you know in the big picture lateral job and he went from defensive line coach in the SEC to defensive line coach in the Pac-12. <laughs> SEC asterisk. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. But still, I mean, the, yeah. Vanderbilt shares in that, you know, the the pool of bowl money and the broadcast contracts. Like, they can pay pretty well. And there are a lot of places yeah, in the SEC I'd, I'd rather not live compared to Nashville. So, it's I mean, it's not a terrible place to be. And he's been at other, like, comparable-sized programs before, like Wisconsin and Pittsburgh are both, like, very large national programs. So, he's, he has – a successful track record and uh, yeah i think he's super exciting plus uh he, i mean this kind of ridiculous sounding but like you definitely want somebody who uh can recruit polynesian players in, mm-hmm. in the islands and probably on the defensive line more than anywhere else in the team and it sounds like that's something that he's done well everywhere he's been um, it is a super interesting name like the most polynesian sounding first name enoki and then or enoke and then Brechterfield, which yeah. just sounds like very German or maybe yeah. not German, but uh, cool name. <laughs> cool yeah. name guy. No, I, I think I'm going to be keeping an eye on him just to see because as far as like keeping some continuity with their recruiting of the islands and just the West Coast in general with him being a West Coast guy, I think that's interesting. And then you combine his his background, which it's not like he's a sure thing, but I, I do like the idea when, if you think of like college football programs, whose entire identity is embodied by their, by their lines. Like, I don't really think there's any teams that have more of a reputation than Wisconsin. Um, Obviously they're more like of an offensive line, like they're more famous for their offensive line, but still in general, like when I think of like line based programs, it's like Wisconsin, Utah, obviously like Alabama, but that's cheating. Yeah. Um, Weirdly so, in the last couple of years, Oregon kind of got into that conversation with, which with their maybe that'll end two now with, offensive line coach. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that combination of, of um, line background and, and recruiting, I think, I, I think he's probably the most interesting of everybody. Yeah. Agreed. Um, semi-interesting that we've gone with co-defensive coordinators, um, not an obvious delineation, uh, or hierarchy between the two don't really have an issue with that. It seems like Inge was 
kind of the primary play caller at Fresno. I would assume he'd keep that job, but maybe a little bit more game planning uh, responsibility for moral after he was the one who had the significant lower level head coaching experience. So maybe you balance those two things out and maybe it also helps with recruiting that two different positions get to say they're being recruited by the coordinator. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the motivation is, but it doesn't seem like a big deal. Um, one other thing we missed over the last week was signing day. Uh, there were only five recruits who signed, but there was a lot of player movement and continues to be going on right now. Uh, the ones who did sign were Jeremy Bernard and Ryan Otten, the receiver and tight end from Las Vegas and Washington respectively are probably the two headliners, both really interesting players. Parker Brailsford is a versatile offensive lineman from Arizona. Denzel Boston's an in-state wide receiver, huge, like has a huge uh, frame. He's heavy and tall and uh, probably a good possession guy. And then Lance Holtzclaw, kind of the prototypical rush end, uh, also signed the, the only one who had been committed, who backed out before signing day was Vega Iowani. It's another name that I'm going to need to hear said out loud a few times before I'm very confident in it, but he remains uncommitted and might still be uh, circling back in the spring. We don't, we don't have a read on that yet. Uh, anybody from this list jump out at you, anybody that you're excited to see, or, you know, think could make a, a difference in the relative near term. Um, yeah, I think, I think, I mean, I'm, I, I think it's kind of cheating to say Jeremy Bernard um, just cause like, that's the obvious answer. Um, uh, he, I, I feel like he's like, when you look at the um, UW's recruiting this year, he was like the one guy who looked and felt like, like a genuine kind of superstar potential. I mean, not, not that none of them do, but like kind of right off the bat more or less. So I'm not going to really talk about him because that I'm not going to say anything insightful that hasn't been said already. Um, similarly with Auden, you know, we've had not for five, five years. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to do yeah, math. Five right. years because he was Cause the class of 2017. Didn't count. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I like that. Con if we can get another pandemic going yeah. in here, I say that as if this another one's over. one. Yeah, we can. If just we can just extend going. this one, get a couple, um, get a couple like free years, we can have a decade of Ottens. And personally, you know what? I'm into continuity <laughs> for no reason. So just for just for the bands. I think I, I Brailsford is interesting. I realize this, I realize now this is such a small class <laughs> that signed that I could just go one by one. Um, but yeah, Brailsford is, I feel like he's kind of like a higher profile. Again, this is some not profound, higher profile Nick Harris. I think he checked in at like 260 right now. So he's a, not a, not a big dude, but, but he, he, other than being, pretty small you know in the grand scheme of his position that is um I think he he's a pretty intriguing athlete um I feel bad I'm gonna skip over Boston the one guy I'm gonna skip over is Boston but he, like you said I think you kind of nailed it with that um and then Holtzclaw is kind of the one who I was thinking about this whole time moving up to him um he kind of to me embodies what you want to look at for or, or not like the, not necessarily the specific skill set, but as far as the kind of floor ceiling um, levels when you're when you're looking at defensive ends um, and and theoretically even defensive tackles, like kind of anybody in that um, that in those positions that are really rare body types and takes 
kind of just just a rare skill set and a rare body type um like if you can't get a five star or you know you can't get a superstar if you're not going to sign a superstar at defensive end I feel like it's kind of one of those things get somebody like him where you know they're more they're more a project than not but with a with a higher ceiling like I'd rather have a low floor high ceiling signing at defensive end than like a low ceiling high floor kind of you know I'm sure most people agree with me this should this episode should just be me going around saying I'm not saying anything profound (laughs) and then we fade to black but um yeah I think that I think he'll his his um progression will be interesting plus his last name just that whole name is dope as shit lance holtzclaw yeah that sounds nickname, like something from aragon his nickname is showtime which yeah. is also great uh yeah he's, Although, he's, is it a, is it a nickname if you give it to yourself i mean somehow the black mama Unless, thing stuck with kobe for all these years did kobe uh, gives that to himself yes very much so okay i'm not again i'm gonna put that on the basketball. long list of things i don't like about kobe not oh. at the top of it but uh, it's on the list uh, i would like to uh, say for the record, I do not endorse any of Andrew's opinions on here. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, the one other thing I would add on here is uh, about Ryan Otten, that just there's a much clearer path to early playing time for him than probably anybody else on the list. Especially with Redmond. Yeah, Redmond yeah. out of the program. The oh, other Otten, the uh, half decade of Otten that we've already <laughs> used is, is over. So, uh, you know, years. there's yeah, uh, still have uh, Devin Culp probably going to see a lot of Westover next year, but there will, you know, if Otten can really be a dynamic playmaking threat, there's definitely room for another pass catching. This is Quentin Moore slander, sir. Quentin, I mean, Quentin Moore is very theoretical at this point, right? Yeah, like, no, I agree. Yeah. It, he sounds great. But we haven't seen him do anything. So I I'm open yeah. to being proven wrong about that. It just hasn't happened yet. Speaking of uh, Redmond and the transfers, we also lost Sam Timani. Sounds like he's he's in the portal, but it doesn't sound like there's a chance of him coming back. ZTF left things very wide open. He said he's going to play another year, did not say he's coming back to Washington. We've also added three players. Michael Penix is the biggest name. We talked about him a little bit a couple weeks ago. And then Jordan Perryman is a UC Davis cornerback. And just minutes ago also added uh, a safety from junior college in California named Demario King. I had to pull that up because I didn't put it on my notes because it just happened Demario King. So he's, he's a very large safety who probably fits in the hybrid um, nickel spot that they call the Husky position, which we'll have to get a new name because it's yeah, far too confusing. Um, <laughs> that, that will not work. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, obviously ZTF leaving would be a huge blow, huge because you talked about like the, the low floor, high ceiling, and he's somebody who's like surpassed the high ceiling that he has. Other than him, anybody from that list seemed like they're going to make an impact, like anything that you're actually viewing as pivotal to the team in the next year. Sure. Yeah. Um, first off, if if ZTF were to, as he as he put it, still he's like not going to the NFL and then tweeted a cryptic, still another decision to make. Um, if he were to leave, the almost the saddest part for me of that, obviously, like on the field, just the production, but he's so root forable as a fan like it's there there's so many players that they're really great but like you know i, I don't there i don't have any like emotional attachment really to them but just watching him play like we already talked about this you know like halfway a couple months ago like how how much fun he looks like he's having 
and just, just and and then also this is really dorky but like his twitter <laughs> i feel like such a loser saying that but like him on interviews like him and elise woodward you know talking together like you can't not love him then you watch him play and how much joy he plays with you can't not love him you, you just like see his twitter likes pop up on your thing and you're like dang it you're awesome i love like i love you so much and then you're really good at football so uh, I just wanted to put that out there that there hasn't there hasn't been a player there or there, I should say there have been very few if any players in the last I don't know decade or so who I think I've just been so like emotionally attached to just because of their whole everything than ZTF but other than that um, Zion if, if you hear this don't leave us man <laughs> um, other than that I think uh, Demario King I, I, he just committed like an hour ago when we're when we're recording this i don't i haven't even watched his film yet uh i've seen a couple other people's very quick reviews but i think maybe this is just from the last few years of having a mediocre to straight garbage run defense and kind of having those not having like a really consistent physical presence at safety since like Jojo McIntosh left and uh, obviously Buddha and, uh, and Zeke Turner and all that, like seeing, just seeing his measurables and then he's like six three two ten or something. Yeah. And, and seeing that, and then I, I will go watch, watch his like huddle and all that. Um, based on reviews from people who I trust and his physical profile, that felt like a breath of fresh air just seeing that commitment thing <laughs> from him just because it's like, yes, I, I want a, a safety. I want somebody patrolling the middle of the field who a strikes a little bit of fear just because of the mental game for receivers. Like they play worse if they're terrified and who is just a really reliable tackler and a physical presence who can, you know, overpower and, and get, you know, not let ball carriers or receivers get those extra few yards from falling forward or, or pushing themselves forward. So knowing nothing else about this guy, um, that's my very large caveat. Just seeing that that profile of a player is something that I'm very intrigued by. Whether or not he turns out, you know, great or anything, who knows? That's a whole different story. Yeah, and and since we have Dom Hampton, who kind of cuts the same figure, mm-hmm. even if and Hampton showed a lot of promise in the second half of the season, I thought if Hampton continues to progress, he can play that position. And at worst, we're taking somebody with a little bit of experience under his belt mm-hmm. as a depth option, which is not a bad thing. Uh, on Penix, if you had to guess now, do you think he ever takes a non-garbage time snap? Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't be. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I, I think, I feel like it's, that's a hard assessment to make simply because um, he's been really, really, really highlight real awesome. And then he's also had really bad injury luck. And I feel like we won't really be able to know what, you know, what state he's in until spring. I, I think mm, this is, it's a hard prediction for me to make I feel like because you know Sam and Sam Heward and Dylan Morris are having fresh starts which they both desperately need and they both especially Sam since he's 
theoretically the future, like they both need to unlearn what they have had to go through. Um, and so I, I think it's, you know, now that I'm kind of talking it out, saying it out loud, I think, I think I, I'd say, I think it's more likely than not that Penix plays signet, like plays, um, in, you know, real, real snaps. I'd say, I don't know, 65, 35. Hmm. That's um, kind of surprising. I, I, my guess would kind of 60, be 60, 40. I'll go 60, 40. But I think I, it really, really hinges on, we know there's so many, so much that we don't sure. know right now that I think will be revealed in spring. I mean, there are a lot of questions that aren't even, that don't involve him around like the progress he would totally, make yeah. and, and Morris and, and how they click with the, the system and everything there. Are, but there are questions about Penix that we don't have answers to also. Uh, one of them is how much of his previous success had to do with DeBoer's scheme versus, you know, his performance tailing off and really ultimately cratering this year with DeBoer gone. I mean, he was not just not as good. He was legitimately bad for most of this year. He had more interceptions than touchdowns. He had negative rushing yards and he completed 53% of his passes uh, for very poor yardage. It's it's like (laughs) significantly worse than what UW was getting in their broken offense. Um, So, I mean, with all that considered, I would be the, the other question that we don't have an answer to is how much health impacted that. And if it was health, is it something that he can still recover from? Like, will the extra time get him more healthy? Because he's had two significant shoulder injuries and two significant knee injuries in the last five years or six years. It, it, that's There's not a guarantee that he ever regains the same athleticism that made him the highlight reel you were talking about. So yeah, that very much remains to be seen. But I, I'm also hopeful, but I kind of am looking at him as also a, a you know, break class in case of emergency type and if everything goes well you won't have to play at all yeah dang it now you're talking me out of it yeah different from from when we talked about hayner you know like we talked about jake hayner coming in being like okay it gives hubert a year to kind of develop if he's okay with that knows the system super well he was really productive last year he doesn't probably have Penix's raw tools but he was a lot better last year, different level of competition, but that doesn't account for it. Yeah. It's like different level of competition, but also it's lower level of talent surrounding him too, which for is sure. side note, put a pin in that. That's one thing that always annoys me when people talk about like, Oh, whatever group of time, five team just beat up on other group of five teams. And it's like, well, yeah, but if they did it from a talent, like an all talent held equal standpoint, say, you know, um, but yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I keep going back and forth on Penix because I think there's just a lot of variables that are unknown right now. Um, the end. <laughs> Fair enough. So this one other unique um, element this year is that we probably are going to continue to recruit significantly after early signing day, which we haven't done a lot of the last few years because the classes were mostly complete by early signing day. But there are a lot of important names still out. We're probably going to take a quarterback to replace Jackson Stratton, who decommitted. The names that we've been hearing are Max Brown from Tulsa and Joshua Woods from Graham Kapowson. Don't know, you know, they're leaning one way or the other. I guess Brown has an offer uh, and Woods doesn't. So that kind of tells you something about the coach's thinking. Uh, Kavanti Henry and uh, Amarian Winston are decommits from Michigan and Oregon, respectively. Both have been connected with UW to varying degrees. Henry sounds like he actually might have a, a four-star uh, outside linebacker type. Sounds like there's real 
uh, connection with Courtney Morgan, our recruiting director. So that that's a real possibility. But the the elephant in the room, the big name that everybody still has circled is Josh Connerly, uh, the Seattle native, who's probably the best offensive lineman in the in high school in the country. And if we can land him, especially after Lake wasn't able to reel him in, that'd be kind of a you know stake in the ground, uh, plant your flag. Like this is a good way to build momentum. And while I'm not a huge believer in momentum generally, I do think if, you know, for recruiting, which is largely based on reputation anyway, getting some momentum behind a positive reputation is probably a good thing. So let's keep our fingers crossed that Josh Connolly does decide to play. Yeah, I think I will say about momentum, like I think people, it, it only exists if you're talking about like on the field, which I know you weren't, but people like to talk about momentum so much as fans but it only exists as much as the players and coaches in the, on the field, you know, as much as they let that enter their head, which granted things do because sports are played by humans and humans are crazy. Um, and so our brains are doing shit. Um, I think as far as recruiting though, I, I, I think that's a place where if you look at what momentum is, whether on the field or off just in life, <laughs> um, it, it's so much it is it is what you make it what the people involved make it and if you look at the demographic of like 16 to 18 year old boys I don't know if there's a there are there are very few age groups that are that are more swayed by what we could call momentum so I think as far as circumstance just in general and then you add the circumstances of like new coaching staff old coaching staff who really hemorrhage the in-state talent. I think it would be pretty hard to overstate the momentum of getting Josh Connerly actually in this case. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it, I think that's exactly right. Like it is all based in reputation, but in this case, reputation actually matters. Uh, let's take a break. Do our, our advertisers come back. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the silliness of bowl season so far and bowls still to come. Thanks for sticking with us. We're in the midst of bowl season. We're uh, arm arm length deep in bowl season or something like that. that sounds uh, dirty. Yeah, I don't know. I, I was editing myself as I was saying that because I couldn't think of the actual uh, saying. It's okay. I uh, you. Yeah. The, there's only been one Pac-12 bowl game so far. Uh, Oregon State lost to Utah State despite uh, having more yards and fewer turnovers in the game, but they were 0 for 2 on fourth downs and they committed 13 penalties. So it's kind of a bummer of a way for Oregon State to end the year. It seemed like, you know, they started out so well, it seemed like they might actually challenge for the Pac-12 North. Do you think this was, they finished seven and six after the bowl loss. Is it ultimately a good year for Oregon State or is it just kind of a holding pattern? Um, I'd say it's better than not because again, momentum as far as program building, if you look at, I mean, they were such a dumpster hole when 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 John like when Jonathan Smith took over it's really hard to overstate like how much of a rebuilding job he had to he had to to just take over all that terribleness that Gary Anderson left so granted you know you don't want to lose to Utah State because obviously you know you have a talent advantage over them but when you look at when you look at the on-field results that he's just put on the field um, year by year and the talent improvement like they're still obviously in the lower half of the of the raw talent levels for the for the Pac-12 but they're in a way better place like roster management wise 
program, like state of the program wise with him. Um, I think even with that loss, like I think, yeah, I still think they're heading in the right direction. And, and I feel like this is something you kind of see often with, with um, teams kind of like Oregon state and, and like Cal a year to, or like two years ago, I think two years ago, three years ago, whatever, um, like teams that are kind of improving, but still maybe don't have the, the depth um, that others that are better in their conference do, um, or at least have more of a drop-off from ones to twos to threes um, is like, you kind of see, I feel like oftentimes you see they start off pretty well, maybe stumble a little bit, then get their groove on. And then kind of as the season continues you know you just get worn like they get worn down like many you know it's just kind of common knowledge many professional and college football players have pointed out like yeah by the end of the season you know like you're not a hundred percent you know and so when when you look at that for a program like Oregon State um, or, or programs that are in similar situations where they're kind of in the bottom half uh, of their conference resources wise I feel like that you see that pattern pretty often where everybody's worn down, but when you don't have as much depth of talent to rely on or just level of talent, like there's more of a drop-off between a 100%, you know, pick a player on their team to an 80% to that same guy at 80% than say, you know, whoever at USC. So I don't think that, you know, I don't think they're kind of stumbling a little bit at the end of the year is indicative of like, oh, Jonathan Smith is whatever, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I don't, you know, um, I, I still think until given other proof, if I, I, I think they're in a pretty good place. Yeah, it's going to be tough for them to kind of get over the hump and be a real contender in the conference. Sure. But I feel like probably most of their fans going to a bowl every year is not such a bad outcome. And it seems like they've kind of raised the floor to getting too close to that level. Mm-hmm. They got another transfer, either it was a defensive end from Miami or Florida or something, who is another one of those guys like Treshawn Harrison. And they had a couple others who were, you know, yeah, really, really elite Oklahoma recruits guy. who, who uh, didn't pan out for various reasons with the program, but still had a ton of talent. And they've, they've done really well with that. Trey Lowe, well, yeah, I, I don't know if Trey Lowe quite hit the same. Yeah, uh, just in general, like profile, the, con- the yeah. concept. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also of note, Fresno beat UTEP 31-24. We all kind of had this circled because we were waiting for the rest of the staff to get filled out. Uh, the one thing that jumped out at me about this game was they threw the ball 41 times, but the bulk of the offensive production came from Jordan Mims, the running back. Uh, so it's, you know, kind of getting back to what was successful a few years ago of using the pass to set up the run rather than just (laughs) pulling as many defenders as possible directly in front of where you want to run the ball and then running it at them. So I, I, you know, mildly uh, optimistic about seeing that system working again, even if it's only against a team from El Paso. (laughs) The, the disdain. No, I, I, yeah, I get it. Miners, right. Yeah. I was trying to remember they're the miners. Yeah, no, I definitely, I love, I love hearing that just because, you know, it's like, I don't want to see a full ass air raid, but, like I, I love, and I know I think I think most people agree with me. Like watching a, a just a, an effective passing game, I love that simply because then when when you give it to those running backs and, and let them do it, like you just see such a more efficient product on the ground. So 
hearing that and seeing that like that just makes me really hopeful for for the opposite of what we were getting this this year and last year of of just it's just the most inefficient ineffective running game simply because you know you're you're spreading it around the field first and foremost and establishing that um yeah the end yeah no and it's not a, a one-time thing either this has been true for most of the offenses that um that DeBoer and his prodigies have or his protégés rather have put together that there's been a lot of throwing the ball but it has set up a very successful running game and so it's, it ends up being pretty balanced even though there's a lot of pass attempts um a couple other things that aren't as directly related western kentucky scored 59 points against a pretty good appalachian state team their quarterback bailey zapp broke the single season passing record a bunch of single season passing records uh that joe burrow set a couple years ago they benched him at the end of the game when he only needed you know i think like one more drive to possibly crack 6,000 yards for the season for the first time ever, which is disappointing. Oh, no. But he's he was part of the, the group of players who left Houston Baptist for Western Kentucky, who went FCS to FBS as a batch of players and just had a crazy year. Uh, kind of curious if we'll see other programs try to do that. Like, oh, look, Montana State just <laughs> made a run to the FCS title game. Let's uh, just take all of their players. What was up? What was up with Houston Baptist? Like, why did they? Wait, is Houston Baptist the the team that hired the guy who never punts? Mm, that's Presbyterian. Yeah, oh, damn it. No, I don't know. I, I think uh, I don't. I, I part of me wants to say that they're the coaches also went from Houston Baptist to oh, Western really? Kentucky, yeah. but I, I'm not positive about that. Well, I don't care enough to find out. <laughs> so I was I was looking I was looking it up and I started googling it. And then clicking on a couple of different links and then decided, no. I feel like the name Houston Baptist University, uh, HBU, was designed to create confusion for people who want to go to an HBCU. And yeah. they're just getting or halfback commitments from university. People. Yeah, it sounds like apparently not with a 6000 yard passer. Yeah, it sounds yeah, it, it sounds like um like in, in Friday Night Lights, how like they had to come up with fake schools for yeah. like that Smash was interested or that were inter was interested in Smash. They had like what Texas TMU like that's 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 it's a Friday Night Light school for sure. I don't yeah. believe Houston Baptist is real. Yeah. <laughs> Fictional me. school from which transfers come. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where Tim Riggins goes before he uh, gets put on academic probation. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, man, that's just connecting so many things because the recommendation I'm going to give later is a Jesse Plemons movie, and I was just thinking back on how he killed somebody in season two and then it, oh, it pretended it never happened that writer's strike man it yeah, was a brutal it's ridiculous. time for humanity it was, i it's better to just disregard that i quit watching that yeah. season and just skipped ahead um yeah. the other game with absolute nutty stats that i enjoyed was wyoming beating kent state in the idaho famous potato bowl by two touchdowns despite giving up 656 yards and forcing zero turnovers it's stupid i love it it's so funny they combined for 723 rushing yards in the game also, also, I just have to give a shout out to the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. One, for having the self-confidence to be like, you know what? We're not just the Idaho Potato Bowl. You, 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 you deserve it, girl. You're the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. <laughs> they should um, start calling it like the prestigious famous. Yeah, Idaho. every year just raise up the adjective. God's chosen Idaho Potato Bowl. Um, and then the other thing about the Idaho Potato Bowl that I love is that, um, one of my favorite people in the world, uh, Jim Stewart Allen, who you might uh, 
he's become kind of like a niche mini celebrity uh, around like Washington because he'll he'll go to um like sportsy things and dance around in a um a, like a Dixie cup onesie um which I remember when he first ordered that Dixie cup onesie and it arrived and he was so excited and he'll go and dance around with those usually with broccoli but he also yeah. for years for years like years ago the first time I met him we is when I learned that he is a like half ironically half unironically big fan of the Idaho Vandals and so every year even though like the famous Idaho Potato Bowl and the Idaho Vandals not affiliated um but every year I think every year since I've known him he's driven to to Boise no matter the circumstances no matter who's (laughs) playing to just just to be at that famous Idaho Potato Bowl and this year he went instead of broccoli danced with uh, potatoes uh one of one of the like genuinely kindest people uh i've ever known and and shout out to him for uh stepping in when i was when i uh have been was being harassed once at a comedy club by some dude uh in, which to his credit he stepped in kind of veered me aside uh, with the uh the pretense was let's talk about australian punters and the idaho vandals <laughs> so it's- to bring uh, that even fan. more full circle, I also have a friend yeah. who's a big Idaho fan, and it's because the Kibbe Dome was the funniest oh, looking stadium in stadium video ever. games uh, when we were growing up. But uh, the I was looking at old famous Idaho Potato Bowls, and even stranger final score than 52-38 this year was the 2016 iteration when Colorado State lost 61-52 to the Idaho Vandals. It's probably the last bowl game they ever played in. Yeah, when did they go FCS? Three years ago? Uh, yeah, I think I this will math. be the third year. They just hired a uh, assistant coach from South Dakota State to be their head coach. Oh, we don't know anything about that place. Oh, wait, yeah. South Dakota State. I was thinking Sioux Falls. Damn oh, it. yeah. Uh, only other uh, bowl game note, uh, just looking ahead, the two noteworthy uh, Pac-12 bowl games, Oregon and Oklahoma, the Alamo Bowl, Utah, Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. Uh, Bob Stoops is coaching Oklahoma in that Alamo Bowl, which is kind of funny. Do you have picks for those two games? Do you even care who wins them? Of course I care. I'm not a monster. Well, <laughs> as, as we know, uh, Oregon has really great memories of the Alamo Bowl, thanks to... Um, and facing Bob Stoops, right? <laughs> yeah, the double deuce. Um, thanks to the um, TCU legend... Oh, what's his name? It had like four syllables, very Dutch. What's the TCU quarter backup, backup, backup quarterback? Oh, God, uh, I don't remember. Uh, whatever. Was that um, during the Andy Dalton era? No, 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 that would be Andy Dalton. <laughs> well, you said backup, backup, backup quarterback. No, no, no. Um, 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 uh, farts. Kohlhausen, Bram Kohlhausen. Oh, right. Yeah. Every Husky fan's favorite non Husky. That's clearly um, when, a, a made-up professional wrestler stage yeah, name. One hundred percent. Yeah, when uh, when when Oregon gave up the big and and you know if any Oregon fan listens to this and is like we're living rent free in your head. Counterpoint: You're listening to this, so boom. But you know anyone who gives us the biggest comeback in all of bull history. <laughs> uh against Oregon makes me happy so um no I think I think I think it's Oklahoma's to lose um and then also I think it's probably Ohio State's to lose like I I would be I would be genuinely shocked if 
the Pac-12 won both of those games. Um, I think it's more likely than not that they lose both. I think if obviously if there's one that's more likely, I think it would go with Oregon, but I'm, I, I, I think Utah after they got their early season struggles out of the way has been so fun to watch this year. Like I, I, I sincerely hope it's them, not only for the fact that they're Pac-12 and Ohio state is God, I'm just so annoyed with the exit. I don't, I don't know why Ohio state annoys me so much, but they do. <laughs> and so um, even all those things aside, like I, I, I sincerely hope Utah wins, but I, I think I think that's going to be kind of like UW's Rose Bowl against Ohio State, where it's like you know you're you're just playing a talent level that that there's a certain level of coaching up that you kind of, that you max out, and I don't I don't think they'll be able to overcome that, but I hope they do, and it's not impossible, but I think it's unlikely. Yeah, I, I, Ohio State's had a few games where their defense just didn't really show up. Yeah, they can survive that occasionally because their offense is so incredibly good. It wouldn't surprise me if this was a game that was like 49 to 38 or something. And yeah. Utah scored a ton of points, but it just still kind of turned into a track meet. And Ohio State's yeah. amazing wide receivers just had like four 50 yard touchdowns or something, even though I think Utah's defense is pretty good. Yeah. We, actually, speaking of, is Britton Covey, I know he declared for the draft, but is he sitting out the bowl game? I do not know. Um, I'm going to look that up really quickly unless my phone takes too long and okay. So he's playing in the Rose bowl. I hope for, if I'm hoping for only one thing this holiday season, it's that Britton Covey gets a punt return touchdown because he is our God. Would you settle for like a a long reception for a touchdown? Um, mm, sure. Fine. I will be disappointed. Um, I think if, if, you cannot be a true, you can't be, a, I, I, I don't want to be an elitist. I don't want to be a, I don't want to try to define what does and doesn't make a, a Washington fan, um, especially as a non-alum, which I'm open about, but you cannot, you can't call yourself a Husky fan if you don't also have a, a healthy sense of awe around Britain Covey, because the fact that that man got up from near death in 2018 against Byron Murphy and Taylor Rapp and McIntosh. And by God, he's a legend. It was merely a flesh wound. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's uh, wrap it up there. Talk a little bit about recommendations. I'll go first since I kind of teased this earlier. The Jesse Plemons movie. Watch a movie last week. Watch a bunch of movies when I was traveling <laughs> because I had time. And uh, the one that I liked best by far was the power of the dog, which is on Netflix. I don't usually I don't associate like Netflix with putting excellent, like yeah. award worthy movies. I think of them releasing single all the way in the holiday. <laughs> uh, exactly. Uh, but this movie was phenomenal. It was, uh, it's kind of a noir Western. Like it definitely has the noir sensibility of like the characters, fatal flaws, slowly overwhelming them. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is the main character. He and Jesse Plemons are rancher brothers, and he's kind of abusive to this uh, like adopted stepson that Jesse Plemons marries into the family. And it's the movie is just about like the tension between the stepson and the Benedict Cumberbatch character. It, it feels like an Alfred Hitchcock movie, like you're on a razor's edge for about an hour straight where you don't know how this is going to resolve. But it seems like any possible way for it to resolve is just going to be horrible. <laughs> and you just like uh, goosebumps the whole way through 
And then the way it ends is totally satisfying and not at all what I expected. So it's, it's not a super long movie. And it's it's by uh, a director named Jane Campion, who hasn't done a lot of movies, oh. but she made a, a Australian TV show a few years ago that. called Top of the Lake, which was really good. It had Elizabeth Moss in it. But uh, yeah, this was kind of like a breakthrough thing. I, it was easily the best movie I've seen this year. My favorite movie I've seen this year. Why do I know that name? Oh, The Piano. That's oh, what I yeah. know from. Yeah, uh, that's probably her most, but that was, yeah. More recently, she's done very few things. Yeah. At least um, things that got famous in America. Uh, 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 yeah, no, which speaking of The Piano, the first time I saw that and realized that when um, Helen no oh shit that uh whatever when the actress who plays the main character when she opened her mouth and i realized that that it, and here you hear mrs incredible's voice which i realized for m- most people many maybe most people who listen to this uh they saw the piano uh in the decade that it came out before the incredibles but hearing seeing a lot li- a real life person open their mouth and be and be mrs incredible because she has such a great <laughs> she has such a good voice and um holly hunter yeah, right that's your yeah, yeah 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 um that blew my mind but anyways I, for me for me that's uh i th- hear holly hunter and i think of her character in uh the oh brother where art thou mm-hmm. oh yes yeah that too oh that should be my uh wreck yeah no she has one of the, i think she has um she I'm, was also in top of the lake more yeah. jane campion uh, yeah. I, I apologize to everybody who's still listening to this, all three of you or whatever, um, that I won't, we won't shut up about stupid things. But um, I think Holly Hunter has like one of, I think she has one of the best voices ever. Just like there's something about it that's so pleasant somehow to listen. Oh, Colin, pr- producer Colin just responded, uh, Raising Arizona. Raising Arizona. Yep. Hello. <laughs> yep. Uh, but um, I don't remember. I just wanted to give Holly Hunter credit for having a fantastic talking voice i wish i had a good voice if i could have any superpower that was really mundane it would be like i want my voice to be good no one likes their voice <laughs> i'm sure holly hunter hates her voice yeah well holly hunter is wrong she should accept broadcast it. news forgot about that one let's just spend the next hour reading her imdb mm-hmm. page That's a good idea um yeah um anything else you want to add just to holly hunter in general uh i don't have any holly hunter specific recommendations i i'm thinking though because i don't i'm not um i i've I've just like stopped watching new movies and stuff that's not completely true um but uh because i'm just so tired all the time but i i've felt like going back through some albums and stuff i'm gonna go to and that is because they kind of have the same vibe even though they're quite very different is Park Life by Blur and Bear Creek by uh, Brandy Carlisle. I've listened to both of them quite a bit lately and like for being very not the same genre wise and even lyrics like thematically um, or situationally uh, one was recorded in April of 1994 or released in April of 1994 and the other came out I think 2012 but they're both like kind of just have a very similar I don't want to say not outlook but just grappling of the you know narrative narrator's perspective the whole time like a little bit melancholy not a little bit like quite a bit of melancholy like resurfacing through both of them but in a way that's kind of like I don't want to say optimistic but um kind of like 
come to terms with it or coming to terms with it and in a way that is just and and furthermore just like they it sounds good <laughs> like like both of them I'll, I'll i'll listen to them whether i want to uh engage with the actual you know themes or not um and and they're both especially park life is, are there they both are much kind of cheekier um and more a, a little bit have a sense of humor that uh comes up sometimes not always but yeah i think i think park life is uh, I, I mean i've known that album for much longer than than bear creek which i just just discovered the last couple of years but um that i think that'll be one of my favorite ones for it has been for a long time and i kind of always forget about it and then i come back to it and the track park life itself is like one of the funniest mo it, it's like such a funny and yet astute like summarization of granted it's i should say of british everything um in a way that i think most americans myself included you know um since i've only ever spent what a month in england you know cannot relate to explicitly but you you listen to it and it's it's just like that that song by itself there's a reason it's like so iconic but that yeah that whole album there that i just very much i've kind of rediscovered it a little bit and it feels it, it feels kind of it doesn't feel timely but it feels appropriate i should say very cool i i have never felt confident enough in my reaction to music that I <laughs> could feel like I could give a review of it. I was just like, well, it's just what I heard. I don't know. But that I, seemed yeah. uh, cogent, at least uh, to me. So it makes sense. That uh, was so when I, oh, I was going to say, when I, when I uh, took a break from giving a shit about sports, <laughs> that was uh, a cliche as it is. That was kind of what I dove into. So anyone needs a mandolin player. <laughs> uh, well, that, that would be hope, helpful uh if you leave i'll try to uh come get cody pickett to co-host with me uh next week or somewhere down the road but hopefully we won't come to that in the meantime thanks for listening and go dogs go pups <laughs>